it can be uh i think in some cases it, it can be a tendency to sort of exaggerate i mean it obviously entrepreneurs are by nature optimists um so there's always they're always going to put the best foot forward but um i think you know when investors ask questions they they want a, a fairly straightforward answer hi good afternoon everybody and welcome to funding a better future this is a new series of bite-sized episodes which feature expert insights from climate tech investors My name is Cherry. I'm the founder of Above and Beyond Recruitment. We partner with climate tech startups and we help them to scale and grow their businesses, either by recruiting for them and helping them build their teams or by offering talent advisory and consultancy services. This series is aimed at founders and leaders of climate tech businesses and particularly to anybody who's looking to raise investment this year. Throughout the course of this series, we hope to give you a realistic picture of what the current investment market looks like for climate tech, as well as some tips to give you the best chances of fundraising success, and hopefully to give you a network of individuals that you can approach when the time is right for you. Today, I'm joined by Ian Thomas, Managing Director of Turquoise International. Turquoise International is a merchant bank established over 20 years ago, specialising in climate tech investments and advisory services. Over recent years, they've invested in exciting startups across EV technology, transport solutions, renewable energy, energy storage, and recycling technology, to to name but a few. So Ian has a vast amount of knowledge spent from over 20 years investing in this sector, and I'm very honoured that he's joining us to share some of those insights with us today. So Ian, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for the invitation. My pleasure. Um, I've I've given a bit of an introduction there about Turquoise International and the work you do, but I'm sure I really have not at all done justice to to the extent of it. So are you happy, Ian, to kick off by just giving us a little bit more, I I suppose, you know, a bit more context, I guess, as as to what Turquoise International do? Yeah, very happy to. Um, So my co-founders and I set the business up in 2002 um essentially to have a business of our own uh we previously come from backgrounds in investment banking and consultancy uh, and we felt that the time was right to uh, be more entrepreneurial and to become uh, uh work for ourselves as opposed to bigger institutions and at that time um i guess virtually nobody was talking about uh, climate technology or even clean technology but there was a growing awareness of an environmental issue um and we had i think by coincidence uh, come across some transactions which would now be characterized as uh, climate tech and we thought that this was a way to differentiate ourselves from people who were uh, in the finance industry who were focusing on things like oil and gas and petrochemicals and utilities and the sort of traditional sectors where there was a lot of competition for a, uh, a new business like ours um, and so hence we we here we are today 20 years later um having been through i guess two or three cycles in in the uh, investment cycles in clean technology um and uh you know it, it is now I, I suppose on the cusp of becoming a much more mainstream area of the investment world which uh you know certainly 10 or even five years ago uh, it wasn't the case absolutely yeah so, so you were really trailblazers i suppose in terms of investing into into that sector 
Um, I, I guess so. Um, the, probably the truth is we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. Uh, but it's been uh, it's been an interesting journey. It's been an exciting journey. Uh, there have been difficult times. Um, but I, I, you know, as we sit here today, I'm quite optimistic about the next sort of five years. Excellent. Uh, that leads me on beautifully, Ian, to, to my next question, which is, Having having seen, as you said, a few investment cycles and been in this industry for, for many years now, what, what's your opinion of where what the funding landscape looks like for climate tech today? And perhaps how, how is that kind of different and how's that evolved over, over this last five years? Well, I think that the, the general backdrop for technology investments is clearly much more challenging in 2023 than it has been over the for the past sort of two, three years. Having said which, um clearly climate technology with perhaps a few exceptions in in the US SPAC market for example hasn't seen the kind of exuberance that's attached to some of the other uh, segments of, of, of technology so conversely now that financing conditions are more difficult for that for those other companies I don't think they are I think the the climate tech sector is somewhat insulated from that yeah. um, and probably the reason for that is that the drivers in this sector um, are regulatory, you know, net zero, um, the Inflation Reduction Act in in the US. Uh, so that benefits the climate tech sector. Um, so I, I think that although capital raising this year and, and probably into next year is is by no means easy, um, I, I do think that for climate tech companies, uh, there is demand if uh, you can connect with the right investors and you have the right technology at the right stage. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, that's very optimistic. So good, good. And and obviously, climate tech being a very broad sector, um, and I, I know that you have invested in lots of different parts of the climate tech sector. Are there any in particular that you're particularly excited about for this year, both in terms of the innovations that are happening in that space or, you know, but but in terms of where you would be looking as, as a business to invest? Well, we invest um, through our current fund at sort of seed or early Series A stage. Um, we have about 23 companies in the portfolio and we expect to have about 30, I think, by the time the investment period of the fund comes to an end. So for us, um, diversity is key, uh, both in terms of um, the upside from those investments, but also risk management. So clearly we want diversification across the portfolio. We have a number of investments in the mobility sector. For example, um, we have a couple in agritech. Um, we have a couple in materials, but we don't pursue a particular strategy of focusing on subsectors. Um, the theme for us is low carbon. Uh, that gives us the ability to invest in a multitude of different business models. Uh, we have a balance between software and digital and hardware. Um, and, and we believe because net zero, for example, is going to impact all industry sectors to a greater or lesser extent, then there are opportunities across all industry sectors. Um, and, and for us, the uh, we, we seek to achieve a balance um, throughout. Yeah, that makes sense. And so, so what would a key differentiator be for you then in an organisation that, that would make them one you'd be excited about? Well, management's always important. Um, some VCs say management is everything. Um, I'm not sure that's entirely right for climate technologies because uh, particularly on the, the hardware side, you expect to see a portfolio of intellectual property and patents to, to give the business some defensibility. But management is clearly very important. And um, certainly one 
thing that has improved significantly over the past few years versus, say, 10 years ago is that management teams now are much broader, they're much deeper, and they have much more commercial experience and expertise uh, versus simply technology expertise. So that that's something important to us. Um, I think we're, although we're investing at early stage and, and companies might be pre-revenue or in early revenues, uh, we expect to see commercial traction in some form and that can be through partnerships um, it can be through early sales um, it, it can be manifested in other ways but we expect to be able to assess the market drivers for the technology um, rather than a technology that's been developed in isolation uh, and potentially might end up being a solution to a problem that doesn't exist um, and then that there are we're a co-investment fund so we always invest alongside others they may be range from business angels through to other funds, through to corporates, through to family offices. Um, so we're always working with those co-investors. Some of them may be existing investors in a business that we're coming into, or we may be the existing investor and they may be coming in uh, subsequently. And so we're always looking to share our views and our expertise and, and to gain from theirs. Fantastic. And with that in mind, is there any particular advice if, if you know, any founders listening to this are potentially looking to raise investment over the next sort of 12 months or so? You mentioned there about management, about being able to kind of evidence some early commercial traction. But are there any other particular pieces of advice or areas of their business they should really be focusing in on to give them the best chances of success when, when they come to have conversations with people such as yourself? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some fairly basic things. Uh, it's surprising how um, when you're inside a business, uh, you you don't automatically understand how an investor may be looking at that business and, and what uh, aspects of it are important to, to bring forward and, and, and make sure that the investor sees. Um, so there's certainly a, a process of understanding what investors are looking for and presenting yourself in the best way. And that might sound obvious, but people do fall down on it. Um, I think the, the other aspect of that is spending time to identify investors who really are active in the sector that your, your business is operating in and at the stage you're at. Um, that There is no real point um, trying to interest people who invest only at later stage or people who focus on a handful of subsectors and you're not in one of those. Um, so you, you do need some spend some time identifying investors so that when you approach them you know it's immediately apparent why they should spend some time finding out about your business um having said that you you do need to i think take a broad uh, have a broad process so approach more people rather than fewer um the hit rate with any one investor is is always low uh, even for the best companies so you you should uh, cast the net you know reasonably widely and i think you also need to be uh, to able to articulate very clearly how much money you're raising why you're raising that amount what that's going to enable your business to achieve over the next whatever it may be 12 months 18 months what kind of milestones you expect to hit and how those milestones translate into uh, a value uplift because investors you know on one hand aren't interested in underfunding businesses so that you know the investment round is too small it doesn't allow the company to really get to that next inflection point 
um and they're very interested in uh understanding that the next investment round is going to be on the back of success and therefore at a higher valuation larger amounts and allow the business to accelerate and i guess the last thing i'd say is in terms of valuation um there has to be a meeting of minds on valuation founders often think investors uh, or undervalue their business uh, investors think that founders overvalue their business so clearly you know you need a reasonable approach um where you can meet in the middle yeah yeah so that's really helpful thank you very much Ian. and and on that first point you made there um if, if you don't mind me asking a little more around that you mentioned about the being a the founders being able to present their business in such a way as to say the right that you know present it in the way the investors want to hear it and, and in your experience where do people tend to get that wrong and what should they be mindful of presenting um well it it, it can take many forms um there can be an overemphasis on technology particularly where the founders are more technically um expert and biased um and and underplaying the importance of the commercial side um it it can be uh, i think in some cases it, it can be a tendency to sort of exaggerate i mean it obviously entrepreneurs are by nature optimists um so there's always they're always going to put the best foot forward but um i think you know when investors ask questions they they want a, a fairly straightforward answer um businesses particularly early stage can't cover all bases um and it's sometimes you know you just have to accept that the you you don't have um an answer that you would ideally like to have uh, and you need to be sort of candid about that rather than try to um divert the question or 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 give an answer that you know the investor isn't going to find convincing yeah that's super thank you so so i suppose not gilding the lily too much we're giving quite a realistic and and kind of quantitative a, a view on on you know what expectations are and what can be achieved right where possible um and i think also that 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 touches on another point which is um numbers so for early stage companies it, it's understood that numbers are um it project you know forward projections are subject to all sorts of uncertainties um but i think that you in order to demonstrate for example that you understand the market you understand how large the market is and not just a very sort of high level a very large number but actually the market that you can realistically expect to address mm -hmm. um and then to show that i mean this will depend very much on on what kind of product or technology or service your your company is offering but that you understand the economics of it so you understand how much it's going to cost to deliver uh, if it's software how much is going to cost you to access the customers versus what you can charge if it's hardware what's the supply chain look like um what, what's the the bill of materials and how can that improve over time because clearly products that uh uh, new products to the market that sell at low volumes are often quite expensive but when you get to volume you expect to drive those costs down so you need to be able to uh, um, demonstrate to investors that you have some understanding of all of that even if you can't pin those numbers down exactly at this point in time fantastic that's really useful thank you so much Ian for showing that um and and what are you kind of most excited about generally what is there anything you can share with us about what Turquoise International have got planned for this year? I mean, you mentioned some more investments there, seven more investments than you said by the end of this particular fund. But yeah, what, what can you share with us about what you've got going on this year? Yeah, so we are actively looking um, 
to because the the investment period for our fund ends um, at the end of the calendar year. So um, we we have um, uh, some money available um, in a co-investment fund for follow-ons, but the main part of the fund needs to invest its uh, its capital by the end of the year. So we have a pipeline. Um, that we're actively working our way through. And, and as, as you said, um, we'd expect to make at least seven investments in that time period. Um, and then uh, on the other side of our business, which, um, as you mentioned at the outset, is advisory. So we're working with companies who are at typically slightly later stage um, looking to do capital raising rounds of, say, five to 25 million and also um, some uh, M&A transactions selling these businesses to um, strategic buyers, so corporates um, who, who want to acquire the technology. Um, we have at any one time sort of between three or four transactions of that type ongoing. So, um, and we're a team of 13 people and some people focus on the investment side, others on the advisory side. Um, so it's, uh, it, it is a busy time. Mm. So people can use you and, and work with you on the advisory side, even if they haven't been invested in as part of your portfolio. Absolutely. I mean, there's no, there's no link between the two. Um, the, the differentiator is that the investments we make are typically, uh, we're investing up to say half a million pounds around. So uh, as I said, it's at seed stage or perhaps early series A stage um, versus I say a capital raising advisory transaction, which is going to be sort of 10 or more times the size of that. So um, it, it, the, the two rarely overlap and there's no, um, the, there's, there's no automatic link between them. Perfect. And if people are listening to this that, that you know, are, are interested in raising perhaps at that earlier stage of this, their business and, and are interested in raising this year or further down the line and, and may potentially want to work with you on the advisory side, what's the best way for people to, to get in touch with you and, and the team? Um, well, you can find us through the website. I think everybody has contact details there, email address, phone numbers. Um, we you know, like to think that we are responsive. Um, some sometimes, in my experience, VCs uh, uh, can be difficult to access, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. either deliberately or because you know they they have a large deal flow and they can't sort of always get back to people. But certainly, mm -hmm. um, we make efforts to um, even even in situations you know where we, for whatever reason, can't invest or it might not be suitable for advisory or whatever. Certainly, try to um, respond to people and explain why that might be and if we can to direct them to others who who may be you know best place to help them so um yeah by all means do get in touch fantastic thank you so much uh, thank you ian for for all of those insights that that was really useful uh, incredibly kind of dense information packed um 15 minutes there so thank you so much for for sharing that with us um, and to everybody, if you've missed any of our previous episodes throughout the series so far, we've spoken to some fantastic investors um, from places such as Nesta, um, Nomia, Forward VC, Planet A Ventures, AO PropTech and, and, and more. Um, and we've got more episodes coming every Wednesday and every Friday for about the next three or four weeks. So please do watch this space. Thanks again, Ian. And thank you to everybody watching. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show to be noted of all future episodes. We've also saved videos of all of our interviews over on the Above and Beyond YouTube channel. Check out the show notes to find the links to this and links to all of the resources mentioned on today's show. 